Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On January 2nd, Joseph Dibby was ambushed by a white supremacist in the Multnomah County Jail. Dibby is being held on allegations that he participated in a 1997 Earth Liberation Front arson that destroyed a wild horse slaughterhouse as well as other actions. As a result of the white supremacist attack, he suffered a broken jaw which is now wired shut following emergency surgery. Dibby was arrested in Cuba in 2018 and turned over to the U.S ending a 12-year stint as a fugitive from U.S. law enforcement. The cooperation between Cuban and U.S. authorities raised alarm bells for supporters of other exiles there, including Asada Shakur. Dibby was held for over a year, pending trial before being released on bond in December 2019. He was released to home detention with his sister before an appeal by the prosecutor landed him back in jail and therefore vulnerable to aggression by white supremacists. You can find more information, including how to contact him, at freejosephdibby.org. This week's episode starts our series of conversations with Val Reese Wap Cooper, the legendary quarterman who learned his craft training prisoners in the Louisiana DOC's boxing program. For this episode, we discuss his 35-year prison term that began in 1976 at the age of 17, and how coming into contact with the Black Power Movement, one of the first recognized prison chapters of the Black Panther Party, during that time helped him become one of the best coaches in the game. The first of several episodes with WAP, we lay the groundwork for talking about the world of prison boxing. The interviewer here is Trey Sterling, whose recent article, Combat and Incarceration, focuses on the history of prison boxing. Here they are. Most situations in life, is, is, it's not how you, your life begins, it's how you end it. And I begin my, 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 I begin my life as a youngster in a very terrible way, doing a lot of reckless stuff, doing a lot of self-destructive stuff, stuff that eventually led me to prison, you know. And when I went to prison, I went to prison for 40 years. 40 years I went to prison. I started with 40 years for home robbery. Right. I was one of the youngest prisoners in Angola at 17 years old. I was fresh out of high school. Uh, well, I wasn't out of high school. I was kept back. I was in 11th grade. Uh-huh. And I went to, in the, in, in, in the, the crime that happened was happened behind some weed. Mm. A, a, a friend, me and another friend, taking another friend, watch. And, and, and money to go school some weed and come mm-hmm. back to the school dance. It was at a school dance yeah. when all this transpired. Oh, okay. Was it on the West Bank? Yes. Okay. At Landry High School. Okay. And it would be Landry. We call it Landry Walker today. But um, and and we went school some weed and came back to the party. Came back to the dance at the school. Mm-hmm. But we we didn't think it was gonna be as serious as. Yeah, they, they made it to be. Yeah. They made it to be like I was the worst. Right, because you kind of you kind of got railroaded. For, like yeah. there was a big media spectacle about yeah, it. Yeah, it right? was a big media spectacle. Because the kid was he a white kid? 
He the, was a head breed. He okay. was a mulatto type. Okay. You know, he was a mulatto type guy. But I think his uncles too, his uncles was on the police force. Okay. And and they made a big spectacle out of the the the, the, the to send a 17-year-old kid to one of the worst prisons in the nation. Right. You know, so normally uh, for a charge like that, you get about 10, 10, 5, 10 to 25 years, I got 40. Yeah. So at 17. Yeah, at 17. What, what happened to uh, your partner? He got five. He got five. Yeah. You had me one, me in front of one of the most racist judges you could put me in front of. Right. Cause he believe in giving black dudes the max on everything. Just out of curiosity, do you remember his name? Did Matthew Brown. Brandon, okay. And look, they call him Maximum Max. That's what this nickname That's, was, Maximum Max. Uh, so you can imagine the situation, me, naive, young, wild, half educated, was yeah. going up against. So I didn't understand it then, but I understand it yeah. now. And as I grew up in prison, I went to prison with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. I went there. I knew I was really old. I knew that something terribly had went wrong in this situation with yeah, me. Yeah, something un you couldn't fathom. Yeah, I couldn't find it then. All of us is the same age, go to the same school. Mm -hmm. How how you gonna take a, a incident like this and bring it out of school and make it a public spectacle? Right. Oh well. Oh yeah. It, it ain't like youngsters today. Yeah. It. The situation with me was rare in, within itself, but nowadays, the youngsters today yeah. commit a lot of offenses at a very young age, but it wasn't like that when I went to prison in 76. It was it was less as it is now. And and the fact that I went to Angola with a very hard chip on my shoulder, mm -hmm. and, and I had put it in my mind that uh, since I know I'm going up that bad, and I know you sending me up there just for the sole purpose of messing over me. Yeah. When I get up there, I'm gonna be the worst young inmate that Angola ever seen or ever with, and I succeed. Yeah, I became the worst inmate that Angola ever seen. Period, <laughs> hands down. You know, going in there at 17. This is what year is this? 1976. 76. Angola is still going Pretty through well. yes, they go this this reform period, which was a major overhaul of a, quote America's bloodiest prison. Yeah. You know, they had just overhauled so so many of the worst excesses of uh, how the how the prison was managed. Like you know, the the, the trustees used to carry shotguns. Yeah, and it may go, and they would act as as hitmen for the guards, and then of course like the rampant sexual slavery. And I imagine you know overhauling that itself, obviously because of what happened to the Panthers when they pushed back against some of that stuff. You can see how uh, it was a messy transition. Yes, and so you're coming in at the tail end of a very messy transition from. I'm coming in in the middle of it. In the middle of it. Back there in the middle of it. Yeah. Cause look, let me show you something. I came right there, going from the Panther influence to to the transformation of Toronto, cause it, you know Angola was under cold order by then. Right, it was under the consent decree when you got yes. in. Yes, yeah. so so I'm I'm coming in the middle of the trap where they got the 
overhaul the whole prison system. They got to change it from that violent past to a more moderate, and, and, and the condition of overcrowding it became a major issue back then. So with that overcrowding, came friction and tension and bloodshed and so, and a lot of other things was going on. So I came at that time. When I got up there, instead of using, I'm, a, I'm young, so, uh, and my fall partner was 18 years old, I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And we get into it with some cats uh, that was off into the sexual trades. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we wound up getting rid of him. We wound up catching them, the whole murder charge up. So, but it was behind that. So, since you since you modified this prison system to this new look or this modification you trying to make, why use us as the example? We 17, 18 years old, right? Why you you know what was going on as a warden, as a coroner, as a major, mm -hmm. as a public correction secretary? You know what was going on in Angola. You know how youngsters were treated in Angola. You know a youngster either had two things, two options there. Survive with a knife or get turned out. That's that's the only ain't no other option. Survive, get killed. Yeah. So which one or kill? So which 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 one you want him to take? You know, it, it ain't as moderate as it is today. But what I'm saying is that you know the condition existed the way they was. You know, the N-word was an everyday occurrence between guards. Back then also all the guards were white, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah you could count the blacks on one hand. Yeah. You you had all white security guards. Mm -hmm. You had maybe a handful of blacks. You could count them on one hand. Right. And when you go in the field, you got white men standing on horses like it was slavery time. And, and using the N word very fluently, he would just throw it out. But I'm from the city. I don't know shit about picking cotton, mm -hmm. chopping down cane, and all that. So I, my everything in my existence tells me to rebel. Right. You know, and that and that's eventually I had a problem because the last slave picture I looked at that was Elizabeth Tyson playing in the movie Sounder, mm -hmm. and Sounder. It's the only thing I, I, I can see in my mind every time I see this 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 this, this guard on a gun using a profanity using get my get my cotton get this get that you know on the hall and it was too much for me to handle it as a young age and coming from the city where I never picked cotton I never seen cotton before in my life but I I was able to rebel. And, and, and let them know, no, I don't live like this, and I'm not going to live like this. So and, and so I, I, I got to fight security on one hand, then I got to fight the sexual predators on the other hand. So you 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 really fighting a no-win situation. Okay. The only option you have, kill, get killed, get turned out. Mm -hmm. so, so, so which leads us to you ended up uh, getting the murder charge. Up getting the murder charge and going to... Uh, five years of solitary. Oh yeah, I went through five years and uh, maximum solitary. And they put you just by chance on the Panther block. Yeah, on the Panther. Um, because uh, the Panthers had very well, like three or four years prior, I believe, had uh, been framed for the murder of um, 
the security guard. Uh, yeah, the security guard would what's I can't even remember the dude's name. Miller. Miller, yeah. But that's that's that whole saga. There's even some stories in that that yeah. haven't been told yet. No. Yeah, so you ended up on the Panther block. You were across the hall. I was on a till with one. Yeah, with I know I was on a till with two. Okay. I was on a till with Harmon Wallace and I was on a till with Robert King. Okay. Right. Woodfox was behind us. Oh, okay. He was on the on the till behind us. Yeah, what was See, that like? At, at, at that time when I went to super, super maximum lockdown because when you go to CCR, you physically dangerous to yourself and others. And you used to be put on super maximum lockdown and never see, uh, be able to con- come in contact with no other inmate of security without shackles on. At, at that time when I went up there, and the angle, the angle of being up there, uh, of knowing the reason I'm up there was 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 uh to uh somebody wanted me up there to see me get messed over and and my intention was to prove I was gonna be the worst young inmate in goal to ever see. That was my attitude. Okay, so when I when when I went up there, I can I can say that was a uh, that was a, a a paradigm shift in my thinking because uh so you go through you you as a black person you go through life knowing you got a struggle. You you always got a struggle. You come from poverty, you living in poverty, you go to Angola and you still going through situation of the struggle. I knew I knew that. I was destined for that. But when you get when I got to Angola and I went to Super Maximum Lockdown, I'm not saying I was illiterate, but I was functionally illiterate. Meaning I knew how to read, write, and spell. My school level was 11th grade. So I knew how to read, write, comprehend. I knew that. But I also had this chip on my shoulder, like I said, and I went to Angola with that chip on my shoulder. But when I got to CCR Super Maximum Lockdown, and I peeped out the environment, I was on a till with some giant thinkers. You you know, uh, and you're com- probably I, coming I, into contact with an education that, that like spoke to you. Yes, like, well, well they, they they introduced themselves. Yeah. I, listen, since I was a little boy, I knew about the Black Panther Party. And since I was growing up in the Fisher Project, they had a Black Panther Party chapter in the Fisher Project. We used to sell the Panther paper, the Muslim paper, all these papers that used to be functioning around the black neighborhood, from the Black Panther paper to the Muslim paper. And coming up as a kid, the chairman of the Black Panther Party on Fisher used to get us to run and pay us a little money, look 50, uh, 50 cents or whatever, to run the new, run selling the paper. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we run sell the paper. So when I get to yeah. su- Super Maximum Lockdown, yeah, and not only did we used to sell the papers, there was a competition between selling the Muslim paper and selling the Black Panther paper. Uh-huh. So I sold a, a minute Black Panther paper because most youngsters I run crawl with selling Muslim paper or any other paper for that matter. I tipped them. I tell them, don't 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 sell nothing on this, don't sell nothing here, don't sell nothing there. Don't sell. <laughs> so I was kind of like tipping them not to uh, sell. So. I used to sell a lot of Black Panther newspapers. So when I get the Super Maximum Lockdown, I, I'm well aware of who the Black Panthers are. Yeah. And when I, it just. Because guys in the Fisher probably 
had maybe had worked with. Uh... No, no, it was a, it was a, it, 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 it was no connection. Okay. Because I was like nine, nine, ten years old, and and eleven years old when I was selling Panther papers throughout the oh, Fisher Project, but at the same time, the the guy that who was the chairman of the Black Panther Party in the Fisher. I knew him, and he knew me. He knew my whole family. We, our families knew each other. His, his name was Joseph Fall, called Rico. Okay. So he he was the chairman then, and he used to. Um, oh, okay, but he wasn't around in the Desire when like Malik Rahim and these guys. Well, I'm more than sure he was because he of that age. Okay. He of that age with him. Yes, I'm right. I'm more than sure that the Panther Party on the West Bank had a lot to do with the Panther Party in the Night Ball. Right. Yes, I'm. I'm more than sure they. 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 Yeah. They. They. I'm more than sure they know. They. Yeah, they know each other because yeah. they know each other now. And just just for folks listening, this is uh, we're talking about uh, the, the the biggest the biggest. I actually didn't know there was a Fisher chapter, but the the more well known chapter started in the St. Thomas Projects, which is also in New Orleans, and um, later moved to the Desire Projects, where things came to a head with the city and it's it's a it's a crazy story but uh it ended in in a in a a huge siege of uh the city coming in with with all kinds of guns and everything and basically trying to kill everybody in the in the panther headquarters shooting yeah. up the whole building people in the desire defended the panthers for yeah. for as long as they could but eventually they, uh yeah. everybody got taken to jail and then um Wallace who we're talking about on the Panther block with uh, with King? He was uh, he was introduced, I believe, to the Panthers from the Desire in Orleans Parish Prison when he was on his way to Angola, and then he he went to Angola. A lot of the Desire Panthers were released, and Wallace went on to start the first chapter of the first officially recognized chapter of the Black Panther Party in a prison with yeah. uh, with uh, with King and. And Wood Fox. And Wood Fox, yeah. And yeah, you were saying, you know, these guys were big thinkers, like especially Wallace, mm-hmm. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, you know, Wallace was kind of the, the heavyweight of the, the intellectuals among that group. He was, uh, he was uh, in particular, he was... He was uh, the scholar type. Yeah, he was the scholar of the group. Yeah, he was a scholar type. Don't get me wrong, all three of them is some heavy hitters, mm-hmm. thinking-wise. All three of them... King remind you of somebody like George Jackson. Yeah, you know he he's smart, but he also physically dangerous too. But but Wallace was like, if if you had to put them in a party, you have to put Wallace like a chairman up, <laughs> and you put you put King as a, a field marshal that go out and recruit that, that go out and, and 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 you know that's his aggressiveness and his mm-hmm. his his outspokenness will put him in the forefront. A, a lot of the heat. Yeah, probably good that he was the first to get out because yeah, yeah. he was he championed he championed the cause, the cause. Once he got out. And then you you, you got Woodfox, and you have to put Woodfox in, and and you got to make him. If you had to put them in a party, you had to put Harmon the chairman, Woodfox the vice chairman, and uh, King is the, uh, the soldier in on because right. he he'll be taking all the heat. He'll be. You know, so I, I learned a lot from them guys at that period in time in my life because when I went up there, 
they introduced themselves. The, the till was full of nothing but Muslim and Black Panther. That's every cell up there was full of Muslim and Black Panther. Yeah. For obvious reasons. So a lot of them introduced themselves to them. Uh, I, I seen that the till was, was very progressive. I, I seen there was no foolishness going on. And over time, I kind of like, they used to come all all the, the the big thinkers up there, from the Muslim to the Panther, used to come, conversate, spend their whole hour talking to me, just talking, just having general conversation about issues and so on. And I was like, this stuff was blowing my mind. This stuff was like, whoa. You know, I'm, you know, so over time, I, I, I begin to understand. I begun this, my, my, my level of consciousness had, had lifted itself, and lifted itself up from where I was in population with all the negativity and, and, and all the bloodshed and the drugs and the, the homosexuality and all that kind of stuff was in man prison. It was in a prison population. So when I come up there, it was refreshing thought that here they got guys that really respectable guys that they have a message in with the things they do. And the Black Panthers with with with, with Woodfox, Herman Wallace, and um and King, they they objected have always been to save the young black male from the self destruction of prison life in Angola. Yeah. Yeah, from you the, know, to, the earliest programs from, that they were working on before that they, they make an impact. There'd be no there would be no more there'd be no more rape, there'd be no more killing. That's right. that always been they 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 tackle the the, the, the bull by the horn. Mm -hmm. If you gonna make an impact and then go you gotta go straight to the heart of the problem and that's what they did. They were victimized for it because uh, you gotta understand a, a lot of prison guards and and Walden and Kernis and at that time, that's how they sustained themselves by keeping inmate pit against inmate, the old divide and conquer. Long as you got a lot of black dudes raping and killing up each other, you ain't got less to worry about. But when you get you got so picture you got somebody like Herman Wallace and Woodfox and King coming along saying, No, no, we ain't gonna do that like that that you look you're gonna do you're gonna educate yourself, man. You're gonna try to strive to do something better with your life yeah. than right away in prison. So you can imagine the whiplash, the backlash they gonna get mm -hmm. for trying to change the status quo, they're trying to change it into to something other than a bunch of slaves, ignorant slaves or ignorant brothers. They they try to change the mentality from a lot of ignorant brothers to a lot of brothers that use their head and think about important things. And the, the system didn't want that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they had to be eliminated at all costs. Yeah, it's, and I kind of view it as like, um, like that's kind of the stick end of it. And the carrot was a lot of this consent decree, kind of half measures to resolve yeah, the they problems. Was they were, they you were, had this, this wave of reform that came in. And part of that wave of reform was expansion of prison programs. Prison programs, um, education. Which... Uh, is where the boxing program actually emerged from is around the same period. This guy, uh, Montgomery, I believe, was one of the first people to participate or help start the boxing program in Angola. He's a guy who did life parole. He had he got juvenile life without parole at 17, and um, 
he uh, recently just went to the Supreme Court with that and got overturned. The juvenile life without parole is no longer a thing, but he's still in. But we, they didn't we, let him out. Well, but, um, one of the early ones that I know, the old legend to the boxing game in prison, the trainers I know was Cheyenne, Mop Top, Big O. These the old trainers I know that was there from the beginning and the inception of the boxing club in Angola. We talking about Angola. Mm -hmm. So you, you had you, you had Cheyenne, you had Mop Top, you had Davenport, you had uh, Polder, Big Polder. You know, these dudes was old legend boxing to the game, but they also had transformed into boxing. They trained a lot of fighters mm -hmm. in Angola at that time. So these are the guys that was legend to the boxing game when it, from the beginning. And you had some legendary fighters that were fighting at that time. So at the inception of using uh, the transformation of Angola into a more moderate prisoner, with less violence, less rape, less murder. When you were transforming and go like that, you created not only you had the boxing team, you had the football, traveling football team, you had the traveling basketball team, mm -hmm. traveling volleyball team, softball team. All these sports became rehabilitation tools right. that had competitive aid competition in prison through sports. They mostly kind of emerged or were created around the same time? At the same time, yeah. under the same umbrella of the uh, athletic department. And at the same time, you have the expansion of the DOC and lots of new prisons popping up, so then you start there having you go. a wider Fonts. league for Wait, these You, for you these can say that's why it started, right? because in Angola, you had boxing in Angola. But when you created Hunts, Cogpoke, WCI, Ray Bonker Rex Seedling at all. You, Elaine you, you, Hunt Rex. One of the main reasons why these satellite institutions were created to alleviate Angola for the overcrowding it, it had. Angola was about to bust open to a strictly violent atmosphere mm -hmm. if you don't alleviate it from this overcrowding. So, one of the solutions to the overcrowding, they created Hunts, they created Cottonpole. WCI. Which were, which were at first temporary yes. satellite prisons. But. So so they became a, a mainstay of uh, mm -hmm. uh, alleviating some of the, the overcrowding of Angola. So it, 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 was, it's, it was one of the most strategic moves Angola ever made, yeah. which uh, to institute uh, athletic competition mm -hmm. into, into Angola yep. at the, to because it is used as a tool to keep these dudes mind off of the reality of their situation. Yeah. They said some of these dudes got life sentences. And right. And ain't going to never see. The statistics say 85% of inmates in Angola were like going to die of that. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine walking around telling a, a man who know he ain't never go home, messing with him about, his pants too loose or his pants too short or whatever. Can you imagine messing with a man with life sentence for some of the pettiness that can you, you can mess with a person on? That man don't want to hear nothing about what you think about him, about his pants or his hair or his, how he wears his hair and all that. They, they had to start letting people do, to some extent, 
some of the activities that they wanted to do. Yeah, some some things is a compromise yeah. for peace. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. Feel free to write us at KiteLine at wfhb.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.